the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We need to keep in mind that these truths, while applying to all who've sinned against us, we're particularly thinking of our spouse, regardless of what they've done against you. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The truths Pastor Steve just mentioned are found in a parable Jesus told as a result of an interesting question posed by Peter. In fact, it's a really important question, especially when it comes to husbands and wives. How many times should I forgive someone when they keep doing the same thing and coming back time after time saying they're sorry? Peter suggested a number that was really quite generous in his day, and in ours for that matter. But Jesus had a different opinion. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue our study on the biblical marriage. After hearing Peter suggest the number seven as the limit for forgiving others, Jesus very plainly tells him, no, not up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Now, we need to understand our Lord is not playing numbers games here with with Peter. He's not telling him that the maximum number of times for extending forgiveness to a habitual offender is 490 And that the 491st time that this person sins against you, you say, that's it. No more forgiveness for you. That's not what our Lord is saying at all. The Lord isn't putting a numerical limit on forgiveness. He's not suggesting to us that we keep count of the number of times someone sins against us so that that when they reach a certain level, we're free to no longer forgive them. The Lord's point in expressing the number of times we should forgive as 70 times seven is to say that forgiveness has no limits, has no limits. We should never stop forgiving those who sin against us, regardless of how many times they sin against us, regardless of whether they're believers or not, and regardless of the enormity of their sin or the pain that their sin has caused. In fact, in Luke 17, which is a parallel passage of this, Jesus was even more emphatic about not setting a limit on the number of times we are to forgive those who sin against us. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. He said, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. It's pretty clear. Jesus is teaching that if someone sins against you seven times a day and then seven times a day they come and they say, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? I don't want to do this again. You are to forgive them. So Jesus very clearly responded to Peter's question about forgiving others by teaching us that we are always to be willing to forgive those who sin against us even if they continue committing the same sin day after day. Now that leads us 
to ask this question. Why? Why? Why should we forgive repeat offenders? Why should we forgive those who claim to be repentant, but who may very well be insincere in their repentance? Why shouldn't we put a limit on the number of times that we forgive others as the rabbis did, as Peter suggested? In fact, based on the culture of his day, as I said before, Peter was being rather generous in offering forgiveness to someone seven times. So why did Jesus reject Peter's generosity and tell him that forgiveness is something that you don't keep count of? Well, that's what we're going to find out this morning. Because in response to Peter's question about how often he should forgive a sinning brother, Jesus gave a parable on the subject of forgiveness. And the purpose of this parable is to explain not simply about forgiveness in general, but rather it's about why we should keep forgiving those who sin against us without stopping, regardless of the number of their offenses and the enormity of their offenses. You see, although this parable has a number of details and is presented in a story format, What we need to keep in mind is Christ's purpose in giving this story is to teach us some important reasons about why our forgiveness of others must have no bounds and no limits. We need to keep in mind that these truths, while applying to all who've sinned against us, we're particularly thinking of our spouse, regardless of what they've done against you. And so, as we work our way through this parable, we're going to see that there are three reasons that emerge from this story concerning why we should always be ready to forgive those who sin against us. I would encourage you to take notes. The first reason being this, God's forgiveness has no limits. God's forgiveness has no bounds. Verses 23 through 24. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now the parable begins by introducing us to a certain king who decided one day to collect money that was owed to him by some of his servants. Although the parable refers to these individuals as slaves, Most likely, they were slaves only in the the broadest sense of the word in which everyone under the rule of this king was considered his slave. These individuals, though, appear to be government officials who served the king by collecting taxes from his citizens and then bringing the money to him. But in the process of settling these accounts owed By his people, it was discovered that one of the king's servants, officials, owed him 10,000 talents he supposedly had collected. Now, the precise amount of money that 10,000 talents represents, it's hard to determine, and I'll tell you why, because a talent was not a type of coin of that day, but rather a unit of monetary reckoning. It is estimated then that 10,000 talents would be about $2.5 billion today. And when you consider that something that was worth a certain amount in ancient times is affected by today's inflation, then 10,000 talents would probably be the equivalent of hundreds of billions of dollars in today's economy. 
Listen, it's not important, though, for us to figure out the exact amount of money that this man owed the king. The point that Jesus is making in this parable is that this servant tax collector owed the the king such an enormous debt that he could never pay it back, not in his lifetime or in several lifetimes. Now, how did this man come to owe the king so much money? Well, the story doesn't tell us. However, it's very likely that this tax-collecting government official had been using the monies he had been collecting over the years for his own personal benefit. So he was a thief. He was a crook. And now, when the king finally decided to settle his account so that all of his tax gatherers needed to bring him the money that they had collected for him, this one servant was in big trouble. Because apparently, he had already used up his money, this money, and didn't have any more to give to the king. So the king decides, decided to recover whatever money he could from this debt that could never be fully repaid by sentencing the man and his family to be sold into slavery. And thus we read in verse 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment to be made. Now this was a common practice in the ancient world for the repayment or the payment of debts, even though selling this man and his wife and his children and all of his possessions, uh, that wouldn't recover the money. It wouldn't even touch the enormity of this debt. So this was probably used more as a punishment than a way of recovering lost money. However, before this sentencing could be carried out, this hopelessly indebted man sought to change the king's mind. Notice verse 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Now this is a desperate man, folks, because although he petitions the king to be patient with him and tells him that that he'll repay him everything that he owes him, there is no way that he could ever pay back 10,000 talents. It was a debt he could never repay because as we've already said, the staggering amount of this debt would have taken him several lifetimes to pay back. Now, some of you have been sinned against, in particular, by your spouse so many times that it feels like a 10,000-talent debt that they owe you. And you struggle with that. It's so enormous that it's a weight upon you. Well, the king here certainly knows the impossible situation that this man has put himself in and that this man is totally incapable of paying off the debt. But notice how the king responds to his servant's plea. Verse 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. After listening to his servant just plead with him that he could pay back the money that he owed him, the king decides to release him and just forgive His debt. In other words, he just canceled the debt. That's it. But why? Why would the king do this? Well, notice what Jesus said. He he said there's only one reason. Because he felt compassion. He felt mercy. He felt gracious. That is to say that the reason this king did this was purely out of sheer mercy. It had nothing to do with the man's character. It had nothing to do with his ability to pay back his his debt. It was the king's mercy. Now, we need to stop here and consider the meaning of this parable and how it applies 
to us by understanding who the various characters are in this story and what their respective actions represent. See, back in verse 23, Jesus said that this parable was about the kingdom of God. So there's a message then we know to be found in this story that illustrates how God operates in his kingdom. So what's that message? Well, it's obvious that the king in this story speaks of God the Father. In fact, we don't even need to wonder about that because in verse 35, Jesus said that. He said, my heavenly father will also, so this is talking of God the Father. The king here represents God the Father. So the king represents the father, then who does the indebted servant represent? He represents an unbeliever, a non-Christian, an unsaved man who has an unpayable debt that he owes God. And the unpayable debt that this man owed to the king speaks, note this, of the immeasurable debt of sin that all of us owe God. You see, every one of us coming into this world owes God obedience and honor and glory. He is our creator. He's our sustainer. He continuously blesses us with gracious gifts, the gracious gifts of of life, of food, of shelter, of friends, of family, and on and on it goes. And as a result, we owe him an infinite amount of honor and thanksgiving and worship and adoration and obedience. But instead, as fallen, rebellious creatures, all unbelievers live for themselves. And they fail to give God glory, the glory due his name. And so every day that an unsaved person fails to love God with all their soul, mind, might, and strength, they pile up sins upon sins, sins of wrong attitudes, actions, speech, omissions, things that we should have done that we didn't do. And our debt of obedience to him just keeps growing and growing and growing and piling up to a staggering amount. And like the penniless servant in the story who owed this king billions of dollars that he could never repay, our status before God then is that of a debtor with debts of unlimited and infinite proportions. And were we to spend all of eternity in hell, we could never pay off this debt. Never. And yet the amazing message of the first part of this parable is that like the king in the story, God the Father extends unlimited mercy to the hopelessly indebted sinner by forgiving him all, not some, but all of his sinful debts. Folks, that's what scripture teaches, that when a lost sinner comes to Christ for salvation, he forgives us all of our sins. I know that you know this. I just want you to see it and, and drive it home to you. In Colossians, for example, and there's many places that speak of this, but Colossians chapter 2, notice verses 13 and, and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. And what was the basis for this? Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, the imagery here is on the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, Pilate put a little sign above his head, said something like this, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's what people saw as they went by. But what God saw is that that little placard, that sign, had all of the sins, all of our transgressions, all of our breaking of the laws of God, the moral laws of God, all of them 
was on that sign. All of the sins of those who would eventually come to believe were on that sign. That indicates that's what Jesus was dying for. None of his sins, because he had none. He was dying in payment, being punished with God's wrath, the Father's wrath, for our sins. He was tasting hell for us. And it's on the basis of his death on the cross that God forgives repentant sinners. All, wipes it all out. Listen, Christ's point in telling us about this merciful king is to teach us that God acts with such incredible mercy and grace when we, when he rather, forgives the sins of repentant sinners. See, the reason that we must never limit the number of times we forgive those who sin against us is because, watch this, It's because God doesn't limit the number of your offenses that he forgives. He doesn't do that at all. When you initially came to Christ for salvation, you came as a penniless, bankrupt sinner with an infinite amount of transgressions on your record. But because of God's merciful act of sending his son into the world to make the infinite payment for all of your sins, you were forgiven all of those sins in a judicial sense, in a legal sense, so that there will never be, as Paul says, any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Never. And every time you sin now, and we certainly do, as children of God and as those who are eternally forgiven believers, God still mercifully forgives us in the sense that he daily cleanses us from our our sin in a fatherly way so that your fellowship with him is continuously restored. Now, this is why Peter is so wrong, so wrong in limiting his forgiveness against repeat offenders to just seven times, because God doesn't do that. And this is why we're wrong when we refuse to forgive anyone, especially our spouse, when they sin against us. You see, we must forgive because God the Father has forgiven us an infinite number of sins, and he continues to forgive us daily of our sins. And because this is the way God acts towards us, as Jesus continues with this parable, he gives us a second reason as to why we should always be willing to forgive those who sin against us. The first is because God's forgiveness has no limits, so ours must not. Second reason is because forgiven sinners are expected to forgive Others, just as they have been forgiven by God. Notice verses 28 through 30. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling. And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Now, what we read here is this. Upon leaving the merciful king's presence, this forgiven servant does something that is absolutely so cruel and so heartless. He seeks out another man who owed him some money, a hundred denarii, which was about three months of wages, and he grabs hold of the man. He begins to choke him, demanding that he pay him back what he owes him right then and there. Now, even though this debt of 100 denarii was a relatively small debt compared to the 10,000 talents that the first servant owed the king, we need to keep in mind that it was a very real debt. 
a very real debt, and it represents in this parable some very real sins and very real offenses committed against this man who is now demanding to be paid. This is not imaginary. This is real. But interestingly, this second indebted servant responds in the same way that the first servant responded to the king's demand to be paid. He starts pleading with him. He pleads with him to have patience, and he promises that he'll repay all that he owes. But instead of forgiving him as he was forgiven and canceling the debt, the first servant throws the man into prison until he can pay back all the money that he owes. Now, it's easy to read the story and get an attitude, get angry at this man who's been forgiven so much, yet he didn't extend forgiveness to this other man for the paltry sum of money that he owed him. But folks, that's exactly what we do. As those who have been forgiven by Christ, every time we refuse to forgive someone who sins against us, that's exactly what we do. That's the point of the story. You see, this first servant at the beginning of the parable, at that point, he was a picture of every unbeliever, but that changes. That changes. He was a picture then of an unbeliever, picture of us before we were Christians, before we were saved. But once he was forgiven by the king, his immeasurable debt, the picture changes. Then he becomes a picture of every completely forgiven believer in Christ. He becomes a picture of us, if you know Christ, of every believer who has been completely forgiven in Christ, and that means all believers. Because of Christ's death as our substitute, sin bearer, God has forgiven us an infinite amount of sins Yet so often, we refuse to forgive someone who sins against us, especially our spouse, once, twice, seven times, or 490 times. You see, in response to Peter's question, which started this whole thing, how many times should I forgive my brother or my spouse when they sin against me? Jesus is now giving him the answer right here. The answer is every time and without any limit. And why is this the case? Simply because you have been the recipient of God's unlimited grace and mercy in your life. Therefore, God expects you to do the same for others. That's exactly what the rest of Scripture teaches. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, this is so critical. Ephesians chapter 4, let these words sink in, absorb them. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Let that sink in. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Listen, every time you refuse to forgive someone who sins against you, you know what you're being? You're being self-righteous. Self-righteous, you're being proud. You have forgotten how much you have sinned against God. There's a story about a couple who had lots and lots of disagreements, but they wanted their marriage to be better. So they made a fault box where they could put notes that told what the other person had done that was hurtful. 
After a month, the one partner looked at the other's notes and saw trespasses that included things like leaving a wet towel in the shower or not putting the lid on the peanut butter and several other misdemeanors. And then it was the other person's turn to read. Every note in that box said the same thing. I love you. We need honest communication between marriage partners, but as Paul said, the truth must be wrapped in love. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop by some Sunday if you're in town. For service times and a map, go online to lakesidechapel.com. Or you can call the office at 727-441-1714. Find out more about Verse by Verse at versebyverseradio.org. We have information about giving if the Lord is speaking to you about that. And there's an ever-growing library of previous broadcasts in our message archive. Besides downloading them or streaming them online, there's also a podcasting service available to help you make use of these free resources. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Have you ever thought about how good it feels to harbor a grudge? I sometimes compare rehearsing my resentment to picking at a scab. It does sometimes smart a little, and it may bleed. But it also feels good in an itchy kind of way that's really hard to explain. But as my mom always used to tell me, if you keep picking at it, it'll never heal. Well, actually, her warning is a lot more relevant to emotional wounds than skin wounds. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will consider Jesus' warning for those who don't forgive. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.